this evening we will be meditating upon a very important section of the Gospel of Mark. This is a portion which is the, the last exorcism performed by the Lord in the Gospel of Mark. And it is a, a moment of great importance. Uh, our Lord and uh, the three chief apostles were up on the mountain of transfiguration and they saw the glory of the Lord. But now we see them coming down the hill, down into the valley, which is where we live. We sometimes have our experiences of transfiguration and seeing the glory of God, but we can't live on the mountaintop. We must come down into the valley. There's a very, very famous painting by Raphael in the Vatican Museum where you see the glory of the Lord on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, but already you see at the bottom of the mountain, down in the valley, the, the suffering of the boy who is so afflicted and his loving father and the crowds down below. So it is that dynamic back and forth which we see profoundly set in today's passage that we'll be reading from chapter nine of the Gospel of St. Mark. This is a passage too which requires some understanding. It is uh, pretty clear from the symptoms which we see of the young man who is afflicted in the Gospel that he seems to be suffering from something which most people would think probably is some form of epilepsy. It, the symptoms seem to point to something like that. But this is not simply a healing miracle which the Lord performs. There is also, in addition to the physical sickness, there is obviously something more at work in the struggle which we see today. There is that additional reality of the power of Satan, that battle with the force of not just of physical illness, but of the power of Satan. And this is something which we see in various different ways. It seems always when the Lord has an experience of that union with the Father, which we find in different points in the, the Gospels, that right after that we have a very serious battle with, uh, with Satan. We just think the feast of the baptism of the Lord, where we have the, you know, the Lord, this is my beloved son, there we have. And then right after that, not into experience on this earth of, of peace, but into the desert, into the battle with Satan. And so that too is a message for, my, for us as we meditate upon this very profound passage that this, uh, it speaks to us of our, our need to be sustained by the glory of God, be attentive to God. Not only at the beginning of this passage, we see that where the Lord is there in transfiguration as we meditated upon last month, but also at the very end where the message of this piece of the gospel is that we must be rooted in prayer. It is that which gives us access to transfiguration, to glory, and which allows us then to deal with the life we live, which is almost always in the valley, not on the mountaintop. And so with that uh, in mind, we now enter into a most profound and moving passage of the gospel of St. Mark, which speaks very much to our struggles in this world and also to the need for faith and for the wonderful, powerful line of the loving Father as he says to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We stumble through the valley. We believe, but Lord, help our unbelief that we may be healed, that we may be protected from the power of Satan as well. And so we begin this time of Lexo Divina together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Let us now let go of all those cares which trouble us so much, which occupy our hearts and minds, which block out our ability to to open our hearts to the coming of the Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. We ask the Lord to free us from those sins which block the passage of the Lord and the pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created. and You shall renew the face of the earth. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd about them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has he had this? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter into him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd about them and the scribes arguing with them. The Lord and Peter and James and John have been up on the top of the mountain 
we see the, the majesty of God there revealed before them. But the other disciples haven't been doing nothing. They've been down below. And they've been trying their best, I suppose, to, to do what the Lord said, to cast out demons, to heal, to do all those things in the name of the Lord. But when the Lord is away from them, they have trouble. I think we all find this, don't we? We're, when, when the Lord is with them, they can act well, and he sends them out. But on their trial run, you might say, of being disciples of the Lord, exercising his healing ministry, they're not doing too well. And so when the Lord comes down, our Lord Jesus, he and, the, and Peter, James, and John, they saw a great crowd about the disciples, arguing with them. We're back now to the valley. This is where we're called to live our life. We do not live our life in mystic adoration all the time. Although it is good since that's where we're all heading every day into the valley, arguing, suffering, struggles, unbelief, all those failure as the disciples we see have failed in their mission. And that's cast doubt on Jesus because the people say, well, you know, your, your disciples can't do anything. The, the, the man says later on, I brought my son to you. He brought him to the disciples, and therefore to Jesus. Now there's doubt about whether Jesus is really the, the one who can be the person of divine power. So that's the world in which, to which Peter, James, and John come back, and they're back into the midst of an argument. Maybe it's a reminder to us that... Uh, we need to become refreshed regularly. At the beginning, at the end of this gospel, we see prayer at the top of the mountain at the beginning. We just left that. And prayer is the main requirement the Lord asks of them at the end of this. Let's just, um, conscious of the fact that you and I, were all living in a world of argument and contention and struggle and messiness and all those things, Let's just simply spend a moment now and say, Lord, help me to bring into this world that peace, that shalom, that presence, that life that comes when we're deeply in the presence of Jesus, when we are with him in our times of prayer and our times of adoration. All the more reason what Bishop Sheen always used to recommend to priests and he recommends to anyone spend an hour every day in adoration before our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, then out into the street, back into this world we see in the first line of this passage, the world of contention, argument, fighting, disagreement, all those things. We pray the Lord to help us to be strengthened by his presence by the adoration that leads us into action in this sad and contentious world of ours. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. When he's away, he's missed. They immediately, of course, this is Mark. He's always everything is just immediately always directly, right away. He doesn't have that kind of suave uh, smoothness of St. Luke or any of that. Immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. Maybe, some people think it may be because he still had the, the glory, the shine of the transfiguration upon him, 
But I think it's just simply, when he comes into our presence, we're amazed. Usually it's at the end of, the, of these miracles that the people were amazed at Jesus. But when we see him, we're yearning for him. We rush towards him. Even these people who've been caught up fighting the, the disciples and arguing with them, as soon as they see Jesus, they move towards him. They ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? He wants to find out from the disciples, what is this fight that I see? Remember when Moses came down from the mountain? He hears the contention in the camp and all that. Oh my, back into the valley. So what is this that you're discussing with them? But before the disciples can begin to complain probably and saying, well, we tried to, to help this man and it didn't, didn't work. Or before the scribes can go and start criticizing our Lord and his disciples, one of the crowd, the father, with his dear son, one of the crowd answered him, teacher, rabbi, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples who cast it out, and they were not able. And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. People come to Jesus. And now, as then, they come to Jesus through his disciples. He actually brought the son to the disciples. In them he found the presence of Christ but there was something wrong. They were not able to help. How often are we that way? We are the disciples, people seeking Jesus when they see him directly, but they come. They, these are the disciples who've been given the authority and the power and the mission of helping, of healing. But when I asked your disciples to cast it out, they were not able. They failed. They were not channels of God's grace. And throughout this portion of St. Mark, as throughout our own life, we need to ask why? Why was it? They have been given the mission to do precisely this, and yet they were not able. Teacher, I brought my son to you. I ask your disciples to cast out the demon, and they were not able. Let's just reflect on our own lives and the times, you know, that we are, we try to live our life, we try to make Christ present to the people around us. And there's something missing sometimes. It doesn't work. We fail to be Christ to others as the disciples have done here. What is it? This is why we're called to live our life of mission as disciples and of ministry within this world in a repentant spirit. We don't know why exactly, except the Lord says at the end, they weren't praying enough. They weren't close enough to him. Perhaps that gives the, the secret of what their problem was. They were not close to the Lord. Maybe they got caught up in their own 
role as the representatives. People are coming to them and treating them like Jesus. And maybe they just were getting a little too full of themselves. Let's just ask ourselves now and, and just ask the Lord to forgive us for the things within our own life that block the light of Christ, that make us inadequate as his disciples in this world. And we pray the Lord to help us to be more supple instruments of his grace, not so caught up in ourselves, more transparent so that when people come to us seeking the love of Christ and his healing power, that they may find it and not find it missing. This happens in this gospel and this happens all the time in our own mission in this world. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? He just sensed from the depth of his heart just this exasperation in his humanity and divinity. He's saying, oh, faithless generation. And these are not people who are kind of atheist skeptics who have an intellectual problem with Christ. These are people who have seen him who have experienced him, especially, of course, the disciples. And he says to the crowd, and he says to the disciples, he says to everyone there, oh, faithless generation. And that's what we're going to see in this portion of the gospel. It is that total surrender to the Lord, that faith, my Lord and my God, that recognition that it is in him that we find our life. It is that which he seeks and he reaches out and performs his, his ministry and mission of power and his miracles. But he calls for us to respond with that faith, with that openness to trust in the Lord. And when that's not there, there's a block. It's just like the the reality we see in the faith of the church, you know, in the sacraments, the, the great thing we can confide ourselves and console ourselves with is the idea of ex opere operato, or the fact that when a priest is saying mass, it is the body and blood of Christ, no matter what. It's an act of God. It's his power that makes the sacraments happen. It doesn't depend upon the priest, fortunately. It's the power of God. It's not sort of that the priest is this or that, no. It's, it's the power of God. But for it to be effective, there is ex opere operantis. It's that, that sense that the people, all of us, need to be disposed with that spirit of faith for the seed is planted, but for it to be fruitful, we need to respond with faith. We can't just simply be passive or block the presence of the Lord. The same thing, too, in the life of the minister of the sacraments. So the two go together. 
And which is more important? Well, it's concave and convex. It's the reality of God's divine intervention, touching, reaching out to us, and our response in faith. So he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? It almost reminds me of the psalm. There's one of the psalms, you know, where the, the psalmist says, How long, O Lord? How long? He's facing all these, these troubles in life. And he's saying to God, How long am I going to? And now God is saying to us, which is more scary if you think of it, How long? How long? Oh, fortunately, after expressing that frustration, that divine frustration, he said, Bring him to me enough. He's going to come and bring, bring the, the young lad to me. He acts. He always acts. He always reaches out. It's always the Lord's presence. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him immediately, it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. No sooner does Christ come closer in the midst of this faithless generation, then Satan begins to respond. The more the presence of the Lord, the more there is that reaction. I remember I used to say to my seminarians when I, in my former life when I was preparing young men for the priesthood, assume your temptations will get greater after ordination. And I think it's, it's true. And it's true in our own lives as disciples. As we're close to the Lord, assume as the way it is, that the more we try to serve the Lord, the more we will find that response of the world, the flesh, and the devil. That reaction to the light of Christ, that reaction gets stronger and stronger. When someone good comes into this world, our Lord himself being the chief reality there, the force of evil, the power of Satan, and all that is sinful within us recoils against it. Think of why so many of the saints were rejected by the people around them. Sometimes when we are caught up in our own sinfulness, we cannot abide in our darkness the presence of light. And so it is above all here in this case too. So we should think about that. First of all, we should not get too discouraged by that. But when we, you know, when we find that we have this experience, any profound experience of God, just assume that tomorrow you're going to have a really rough day. <laughs> just assume it. You know, it's part of life, everyone. Don't try to, don't think, oh, you know, ooh-wee, I'm off to the Lord, you know, I'm going to start sailing homeward bound. Not at all. You know, remember after the, this is my beloved son, what do you get? The desert. You get the desert. <laughs> so it's just par for the course. So, and there's something really profound in that. And so it is here that, that as soon as Christ gets closer, the forces of evil, the power of Satan gets stronger. But not really to do any, no real power there. But the Lord doesn't even bat an eyelash at this. He says, after all this, this experience, Jesus asked his father, how long has he had this? And he said, from childhood, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. 
We see the power of Christ here, but we see a father's love. It's not help me or help him, it's help us. He and his little boy have been struggling all the time. The, boy, the poor little boy has been facing this for so long and the power of evil against that little fellow. And he says, but he's still not sure because the disciples who seem to represent Jesus couldn't do anything. So it says, if you can do anything, have pity on us. Help, help us. You know, in some ways, that's the most beautiful prayer of all. Help. I wonder whether Peter said that when he was going down. You know, he's running across the, the water and he's, then he starts getting full of himself. Oh, look what I'm doing. Hmm. As soon as he starts focusing on himself, gets his eyes off Jesus, he goes down. And I, you, know, you say he reached out his hand, but I presume he said, help. You know, you can't get a better prayer than that. You know, to realize we're not going to do it ourselves. Maybe that was the problem of the disciples. They were trying to, you know, make it happen. You know, wave their hands and make this. But this man who struggled and loves his dear little boy, he says, have pity on us. Help us if you can. There's still that hesitation. He's just not sure. And we can assume perhaps he's tried everything. Remember the elsewhere we see these miracles, we tried all kinds of things. So there's a human hesitation there. So very real. It's so good, it, this, especially this portion, but throughout the scriptures, this is not smooth. The, the Lord treats us as we are. He sees the frailty and he loves us and reaches out. If you can do anything, have pity on us. Help us. Let's just put ourselves in the, you know, on the shoes of the fishermen. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of that that father, that loving father. In his situation, so grieved in his heart of the suffering of his beloved son, help us, we're together. Me and my boy, help the two of us. Help us by helping him. Maybe just think of what is it in your life, my life, what, is the, what are the things where we need this? Maybe it is some struggle we're facing, some problem outside, who knows? Maybe some physical disease, maybe some temptations, maybe some struggle with sin, perhaps some frailty, some failure, some fear of the future, regret of the past, something we're facing maybe, whatever it is, it's different for every one of us, but we're all with the Father in this. Have pity on us, help us. Spend a few moments now, just say to the Lord as the Father said, help, help me. That's the step that opens the door. Help me, have pity on me. Whatever it may be in our own lives. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. 
the father's hesitation was in whether Jesus had the power to do it because it seemed it didn't work when he was doing it through the disciples. He had that hesitation. But our Lord, I think he smiles at him when he says this, if you can. You say, if I can do it? You're almost saying, watch. But I don't, that's not in any ancient <laughs> manuscript. You know, what, you want to see me do it? Oh boy, you'll see it, don't worry. If you can, you don't think I can do it. Okay, no. <laughs> but anyway, he, he, I suspect he probably has a little smile on his face when he says that. But he says, don't worry whether I can do it or not. That's not the point. The ex opere operato part is not the problem. <laughs> it's the reception. <laughs> That's the problem. That's where we need to, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And we're not talking here about Tinkerbell and Never Never Land and, you know, wish upon a star, that kind of stuff, which is just illusion. And that is what atheists think faith is. It is that profound connection to the provident hand of God that here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. Faith, an act of the intellect, moved by the will, moved by the grace of God. That's belief. Yes, Lord. It is propositional and in the heart, both. It's not just some kind of wishy-wishy sort of stuff that is the saccharine substitute for faith. He says, all things are possible to him who believes, who is there, who says, first of all, as a start, help me, but who has that deep and profound surrender to God's will who can see through the details of this world and see the profound presence of the Lord himself. And immediately, the father of the child, he's the father of the child, not just someone, he's the father of the little boy, whose love, he's got faith, maybe not such good faith, he's worried a bit about that, He's got love as the foundation. He's got hope. Faith, hope, and love are all here in this. The father of the little child who loves his son, whose love has brought him to Jesus and his disciples. And he has that hope that the Lord will help, help me, help my little boy. And in that, he has faith. He has the faith. It's not a flat thing, a plastic thing, thin thing, superficial. It's that rich diamond that has the facets of faith, hope, and love, all one, together. It is that profound reality. And he says, I believe, help my unbelief. He doesn't sort of get the faith perfect. He knows, he's humble, like the publican at the back of the temple. I believe, help my unbelief. I think that's a prayer we can all say. 
You know, somebody sort of thinks they've got it nailed as a Christian, you know. You know I always worry about that. Someone says, I have no concerns. I am just smooth. Oh, no. I always worry about that. <laughs> hmm. Something wrong here. It's just like I remember once, I don't know this, how this pulls in here, but anyway, it just comes into my mind. It's always a basic principle for priests when preaching and speaking. Never say what just comes into your mind, because you may regret it. But I can think of several times I've had that happen. But I remember once when I was, um, a couple of years ago when I was newly ordained, uh, I was going through Forum 1 with a couple preparing for marriage. And, you know, one of the routine questions is, um, will you be faithful, uh, you know, do you believe that marriage is a sacrament which is, uh, you know, continues until death, until death do its part? And I was stunned a little bit because one of the couples said, no. I thought, oh. Uh-oh. I said, they didn't teach me this in the seminary. What do I do now? I go, Where's the manual? What do you say if someone says no? And they said, we believe our marriage is for eternity. I said, okay, that's good, but it goes at least up to and including death. Okay. <laughs> you know. Come to think of it, I don't think they quite... Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> it's not the words on the lips. It's, the, it's slogging it through day by day with a little bit of humble, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That'll do it every day, one day at a time. Remember, all of our permanent commitments... No one can live a commitment for a lifetime. We just live it for a day, every day until we die. That's how it's done. <laughs> One day at a time until we die. That's how permanent commitments are made. And that's the way. It's a struggle because when none of us has got the... We're all struggling. So here we have. I believe, help my unbelief. So maybe let's just put ourselves into the... I don't know, into the sandals of this loving, hopeful, faith-filled, though bit rickety at times, Father, and say to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And now our situation, he has this very real, obvious, painful, tragic situation here. I believe that you will cure my son, help my unbelief. But what is it in your life and my life that we, you know, we really got to put ourselves right there with a faith that is profound, but we recognize we're pretty frail. We don't have it all together. Nobody does. That's why it's so consoling to read Mother Teresa's, uh, you know, the, about her life, where, you know, we always think she must have been flying on the mountaintop in sort of transfiguration mode from start to finish. I remember somebody reading her, they, uh, they came up, you know, her, her journal and all that. Turns out most of the time she was in the valley. She had, I think, twice in her life she had got up to the top of the mountain. The rest of the time, down there. So that's faith, though. That's why, you know, she's a saint. That's in the thing the trees of Lisieux. We always think, if anyone, the little flower, good grief, she'd be, whew, you know, sailing along. But right up to the end, she was irritated at the nuns around her and all that, you know? So, you know, perfection is God's. We, we just ask us to do what we can so let's just pray, Lord. Let's say in our own hearts to the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief.
And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And when Jesus saw a crowd came running together, immediately, this time he acts immediately. He rebukes the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Here we have divine power reaching out into the receptive surrounding of faith, commanding the evil spirit. It's not exactly, you know, it, we sometimes wonder, especially, I remember thinking it's uh, C.S. Lewis once said, the devil is happiest when we believe in him too much or we don't believe him at all. We, the fact is, it's part of the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is real. If you don't believe that, have you been asleep for the last week? If you don't think there's more than just sort of a little bit of problem somewhere, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that's it, all three. Don't, not one or the other, all together. There is evil. Not sort of improper whatever. There's evil. And there's demonic reality, the, the power, the personal reality there. So it's all there. And it's not that there's sort of a 50-50 chance who's going to win. The strife is o'er, the battle won. Now is the victory begun. But the dragon's flapping his tail around and causing a lot of harm. Just think of the book of Revelation, the apocalypse. But Christ is Lord. I command you, he says. And that's why I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I think when we get this church, when we get it open and get this all out of the way, on the Feast of St. Michael 2016, I hope, well, let's hope, it's getting close, that, you know, that we can all, I, I just encourage people anyway to say, I say it at the beginning of every day, along with the Magnificat, or with the, uh, and the, uh, say the prayer, um, say, Michael the Archangel, defend us in this day of battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl through the world seeking the ruin of souls. That was the prayer of Leo XIII, which he looked into the 20th century for the 19th century, he saw what was coming by a gift of God. And that prayer is made up of First Peter, the Apocalypse, a few other things. But this is real. Those unaware of that, oh my. I think you know to say these, all these people say, hello. <laughs> no. So here we are, but we can't become too absorbed in that, obviously. With a flick of his hand, the Lord deals with this. But we need to be attentive into the world and the flesh as well. It's all there, it's the whole picture, and Christ is ruling our world. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Remember that time, the little girl, he says, Tali, lifts her up. 
And then he says, give her something to eat. Very down to earth. But here, he lifts him up. He, ra he raises him up. And that very wording, I think, speaks to us of more than this individual situation. He lifts him up. He raises him up. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That's probably the most accurate reading. There's some manuscripts in the tradition, that's, and that's reflected in the Revised Standard Version, that say, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. There was a tradition very strong in the early church about fasting, obviously, it's very important. We don't know, both will work, obviously, both can, we're, let's, we're not quite sure, but it's, it's quite possible that what our Lord said was simply, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That seems to fit, especially since we begin on the mountaintop, we end with prayer. And in between, we have the valley. And so that's an incentive to us. Whatever, whether not only dealing with the relatively, in our own lives, it may be relatively rare experiences of this type, but with the world, the flesh, the devil, and the struggles of our life, and our own cares and concerns, and all the different anxieties and fears we have, and all those things, the whole traffic at the bottom of the mountain Life in the busy valley, which is where we spend most of our life, in ordinary time, where after the feast of the baptism of the Lord with the hand of God coming down and the power of God, we have ordinary time starting tomorrow. <laughs> and that's sort of where we live. It's the valley. <laughs> We're valley dwellers. But we've got to go up in the mountain, as the Lord does from time to time, as Moses does. So I would say this kind of this horrible evil but also, all of these things can be cast out by prayer. It is in that that we find our, our experience of the Lord who is with us every step of the way. It is in there that we find how to deal with the struggles great and small that we face, whatever they may be. It is there that we, we find our peace no matter how busy we are in the valley, the faster the wheel is spinning, the more the hub has to be secure. And the hub of our life is our times of prayer. And if we say, my work is my prayer, well, it will be if we have a time of prayer, but not without. If we just simply, it's just not gonna happen. So we need to, each one of us, our Lord says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And we need, I think, as we, recognize we're living in the valley. Some poor soul is facing something horrible. So that, that was the time to pray for whoever is being taken to the hospital. I think of that, I, I live uh, here and uh, as the helicopter comes into the roof of St. Michael's Hospital, it sort of hovers over my bedroom. <laughs> and I always say, Lord, whoever you are up there the, in that, uh, that helicopter, say a little prayer for them, you know. <laughs> well, this is where we are, you know. We're kind of, this is, this is it. 
we're valley dwellers, but we've got to have our hearts on the mountaintop. We've got to keep that, that, that reality. And then that, if we do that, then we will know what we're doing. We will be able to, to be who we are. And so, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd about them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has he had this? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything... Have pity on us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, and never enter in, into him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.